Hi there, I'm Mike Bellardi, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 108 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. Today, I'm speaking to Mike Ballardi, the CEO of Slinger, who have developed a portable ball machine. They classify themselves as a sports brand focused on innovating game improvement technology and equipment and with the vision become a connected sports brand. I'm also happy to say they are podcast sponsors. Mike has an experienced tennis background with a brief stint as a pro player, where he once took on John McEnroe and went three sets with him. He has worked with top tennis brands such as Wilson and Prince, achieving great success with both of them. And he's now running Slinger, a publicly listed company, and turned it into a top tier tennis brand. It's a very interesting chat with lots of mini tennis stories. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Fabio, uh, great to be here. I'm, I'm really, uh, really good. Thank you. Really good. Well, it's first of all, it's amazing to have you on. Secondly, I know how busy you are. You're busier than tennis players. It can be tough to schedule in tennis players because they're all over the place. But, you know, they're not playing tournaments every week, but your life seems like there's a tournament every week going on. So thanks for jumping in. And three is thanks for being our sponsors. Really appreciate that. And I've been excited to get you on and hear all about obviously Slinger and your journey. So how about maybe we start off with you telling us your background in tennis. Were you a player or did you just get into the tennis business through to your business experience? Uh, yeah, no. So, um, you know, I grew up in Liverpool, first of all. So uh, just across the sea from where you are. And, uh, you know, I, I just happened to grow up backing onto a tennis club. You know, and of course, in Liverpool, everyone's soccer mad. And, uh, you know, I ended up being tennis mad. Uh, and so, you know, my parents were members of the tennis club and my dad took me over, I think the first time when I was about four and, you know, gradually I started playing a little bit of tennis. And then way back then the LTA that, uh, you know, they had a scheme for uh, young tennis players, which was run by something called that no one's ever heard of anymore, Green Shield Stamps. Um, you know, and the, you know, I went on a course, got recognized because I had a little bit of, I suppose, talent, hand and eye coordination. And then, you know, got into having tennis lessons and things progressed from there. I, um, you know, when I was... 12, I think I won my first uh, junior tournament. And from that moment forward, every summer that, uh, you know, I was out playing tennis all over the place, you know, traveling the country, traveling around Europe, eventually, uh, you know, you know, playing. And I was quite successful as a junior. I think in the UK, I got to the, you know, in the top five juniors. Of course, when you're 17 or 18, you know, and you're quite good at a sport, you feel like that, you know, you could take it on and become, you know, even better at it. Reality is that, uh, you know, we, I was good in my bubble. And, uh, you know, when I went, I started going playing in French uh, classement tournaments for quite a lot and just realized that, uh, you know, there was a lot of tennis players out there who were much better than me. And it was it was a challenge. It was challenging and, and mentally tough to, you know, to not win as much as you were used to winning, you know, as you got older, you know, so, you know, but, but I enjoyed my time playing tennis. I was, uh, it was what I wanted to do. And um, I think when I was uh, 19, I got offered the opportunity to go and play tennis in Germany and, you know, for a club and get paid for it uh, due, 
through what they call the Maidenspieler, which, you know, and so I went over to Bonn or just outside Bonn and played in the Oberliga, which is like the second division uh, for a club, got some money for it over a six week period. And, and then the club asked me, they said, look, you know, we're looking for a tennis coach. Would you like to come back and coach in the winter? And I thought about it and said, yeah, I like it here. We'll come back and coach. They had a good bar. And, you know, they had a nice uh, young, young group of uh, people, you know, seemed to get on well with them. So I went back for the winter and stayed there seven years coaching. You know, and tennis in Germany was on a boom at that time. And, you know, every tennis club had an indoor hall. And, you know, it was a quite a, you know, it was a, you know, it's tough playing tennis eight, nine, 10 hours a day. But, you know, it was nice to, to, to have a regular income, I suppose, and to you know, have a nice, nice lifestyle, you know, with a, with a young group of people who were fanatical about tennis like I was and had the opportunity to, to live the dream, I suppose, as a professional tennis coach at that time. Nice. Well, there's still plenty of players going over to Germany now from top 1,000 ranked players to top 20 ranked players. So they're still earning good money doing yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Bundesliga there, it's a very high level of uh, of play. And probably most of the big Bundesliga clubs have a, you know, a, an, an outside player, a professional player. So, and they get quite a lot of people watching, you know, at the, at the events or during the tournaments or the matches. And, um, I think now even you can live stream the Bundesliga tennis, you know, so um, and watch what's going on. Yeah, no, it's really good. And two, maybe we skipped by this, I think is quite an important part. You must have been pretty handy. You did take John McEnroe to three sets. I did. Well, yeah. So before anyone had heard of him, of course, so I was playing a pre-Wimbledon tournament and, uh, you know, I'd won a couple of rounds and I ended up playing this American kid who was 17, who, you know, no one knew. I, I didn't even know him. No one knew who he was. And uh, he was on a grass court. Yeah, I lost, you know, so it was a good game, but I lost in three sets. And then, I don't know, three weeks later, he's in the semifinal of Wimbledon and everyone knows about him. So that's the way, uh, I guess, you know, it's like sliding doors, isn't it? So he went one way and I went the other way. Have you ever met him since and brought it up? I've met him since, yes. Um, you know, during my time, you know, at Wilson, I think I met him at a tournament and, and uh, yeah, I didn't bring it up with him. Of course, he wouldn't remember me from Adam, but um, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was an interesting experience at that time, yeah. You don't know, you don't know that, but he may remember. But so you're, you're working in Germany with all, you know, young Germans, tennis players doing what you love. And what was the next step after life in Germany? Yeah, so I, I remember actually very clearly uh, one one day I was, uh, you know, uh, I've been there about seven, seven or eight years and I was standing on the tennis court one day, in the, you know, halfway through a day of lessons. By that time I was teaching tennis, I don't know, 10 hours a day. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, if I don't do something different right now, you know, in 40 years time, which would have been today, you know, I would be still standing on the tennis court trying to earn a living doing 10 hours coaching. And I thought to myself, you know, it's mentally very tough to to teach tennis because, you know, I used to have clients, Some, you know, obviously you, you have every kind of player, you know, from people who, you know, have no hand and eye coordination and find it very difficult, but have a passion that want to learn. So that's hard, a challenge in one sense. And then, in you know, in Germany, you had a lot of people who actually didn't want to learn anything. They just wanted to beat the tennis pro. You know, you know, they wanted a hit and, you know, a workout and, you know, they'd, they'd listen but not re-listen, you know. And so that that was challenging, you know, letting them win all the time. You know? So um, yeah, anyway, I stood there and I thought, if I don't get a real job, somehow, I'm, you know, I'm going to be here in 40 years time. And so I took it upon myself to contact all of the tennis companies. At that time, I was actually sponsored by um, Slazinger, believe it or not. Um, I used to play with a wooden racket that was Guillermo Vilas's tennis racket, as I remember. And um, I was sponsored by, you know, so I started writing to all the companies just asking them what opportunities they had in sales or marketing or promotion and you know i guess my lucky break was that wilson 
at that time in the uh, in the mid '80s, uh, Wilson in in the UK and in Europe pretty much was a golf company. They were huge in golf. All the top golfers were Wilson golfers. And although they had a tennis business in America, they really didn't have a tennis business in Europe. None. And they were looking to start their tennis division, and they wanted someone who knew something about tennis because all of the employees at Wilson just knew golf. They didn't really know how to get a you know how to deal with tennis. And so my lucky break was they hired me as a promotions manager actually to go out and you know they had a concept which was you know let's go and sign tennis coaches and have them promote the Wilson brand, which of course was the right thing to do. And that's what they'd done with golf pros. You know they went around and signed up in golf. Wilson signed all the golf pros at the clubs, and of course that was what used to drive the te- the golf sale and they wanted to do the same in tennis. And of course, I knew a lot of uh, tennis pros all over the UK. And so, you know, they gave me the job and I spent a year and a half traveling up and down the length and breadth of the country, signing all of the best tennis coaches over to Wilson. And, uh, you know, and that kickstarted the business. And as I got more and more into the to the Wilson kind of ethos and understood a little bit more about the business side of things, and um, I think I pioneered, but, you know, maybe it was a Wilson idea, I don't really remember now, but they pioneered the idea of uh, tennis dealers getting training camps coming to training camps and so when they introduced new rackets in the market you know they used to invite dealers to david lloyd center to actually hear about you know what why why these rackets were supposedly so good and actually get on court and play with them and i you know i started out doing the the, the sessions with the dealers on the court you know because you you know some of them could play some of them couldn't play and uh you know and, and from that i got quite interested in the product side of things and eventually after a few years wilson gave me an opportunity to become the product manager for tennis and that kind of really kick-started my my uh, my tennis career and what does the product manager involve coming up with new products and working with designers yes yes exactly that yeah so because i you know knew tennis so well and i could i really understood what it took to make a good tennis racket if you play a little bit you know you can hit a racket for three or four or ten balls and you'll know if it's a good racket or not you know it just has a feel it's hard to explain but you it has a feel and and so you know i got that opportunity to, to do that. And so, you know, one of the, one of the great rackets that, that Wilson had at that time, as I remember, was, was the, pro, you know, the original pro staff racket, an 85 square inch, a very heavy 350 gram racket, a very thick, clunky frame, but, but had been used in the past by many of the, the top players in America. And, you know, I had an idea to, to modernize it. And uh, so, you know, you know, ha- you know, I got the, f- the opportunity to go to Asia and see how rackets were made and understood the kind of mechanics and the process of how that, that worked. And I had an idea to modernize the, this pro staff racket, uh, you know, by slimming the frame down, by offering different weights, by just increasing the head size slightly to, I think, 95 square inches and coming up with a, a you know, a graph, a very simple graphic design that kind of uh, was a modern take on the original pro staff, which had red and orange lines going all the way around the frame. And I came up with what became the Pro Staff Classic at that time, you know, and, and actually that racket over a number of years became the best-selling racket in the world. Was uh, that the Stefan Edberg? Did Stefan yes, Edberg use yeah, that racket? Yeah, yeah, he changed that. He, he actually, very funny story with Stefan Edberg. So I knew Stefan quite well and Tony Pickard, his coach. Tony Pickard was a Wilson consultant also. But anyway, we talked to Stefan and, and of course he didn't want to change from the 85 square inch racket, but we cosmetized his racket to look like the new one, but he was playing with the original old pro staff and we had a contract with him. But, you know, in those days, I can tell you Stefan Edberg probably earned $30,000 or something from Wilson. It was like nothing compared to what the yeah. players get paid today. But, yeah. you know, uh, and, and Wilson was quite stingy, you know, and, you know, saying, Hey, well, look, we make good products, which we did. And, uh, you know, if you want to use it, then, then uh, you know, you're getting the benefit of the product. That's your tool of the trade, and that's going to win you lots of money, and we're not going to pay a lot of money in the contract. Anyway, 
Um, so Stefan Edberg, actually, if you you might look up some old videos of him, but there was a time when he actually played with with a very small W on his racket. He actually put it down in the bottom half of his racket, and he reduced <laughs> the he reduced the size of the Wilson W, which all the other players had on their stencil, by fifty percent. And he just kept saying, "Mike, I told you, small contract, small W." I love it. That's brilliant. <laughs> So that's what he did. And we had to make up all kind of uh, interesting stories for the retailers as to why Stefan was playing with a small W. And we, you know, he used to, every, all the players used to play with natural gut at that time. And so we used to say, well, he middles the ball so well, the ink was having an impact on, you know, on the performance <laughs> of the racket. And so we moved the W down for him and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. That is brilliant. That is, and were you involved in signing like Stefan Edberg? You signed Steffi Graf? Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so, so actually today, uh, so I hired a guy at, at Wilson who's today is the president of Wilson Racket Sports, actually. So, so um, you know, he used to work for me I, in Germany. Germany, uh, and, you know, and, and uh, I made him, you know, he, he, I went down the product route and I promoted him. I got the responsibility ultimately for the tennis tour, the international tennis tour, looking after all of the players and building up the player base for, for Wilson. And I hired him to go travel because he was a very good tennis player to go travel and, uh, you know, and, and at all of the tournaments. And I think we, the first player that we signed of note was Richard Krajacek. Yeah, so when he was like 16, we signed Richard Krajacek. And of course, you know, he became, you know, he went went on to win Wimbledon. Um, you know, then we signed people like the, you know, the Woodies, the Doubles guys, uh, Magnus Norman, uh, Cracky. We had so many players, I can't even remember them all now. But ultimately, you know, uh, we decided after a few years of success with the Pro Staff Classic, and, and suddenly we had all of these tour players being very successful using the Pro Staff Classic. We decided to create a women's version of it, and we called it the Pro Staff Classic classic light so it was a you know it was a lighter weight racket and it was in lilac and pink and some colors like that and we needed a woman player to um to endorse it and so we started a whole process of uh, of working with Steffi Graf at that time she was a Dunlop player and she'd always played with a Dunlop Max 200G tennis racket and if you've ever played with that racket it's like uh, it's a super flexible racket it was injection molded it was quite ingenious for its time but it was a very soft racket you know so actually it, you know whereas most tennis like the Pro Staff Classic is a very stiff racket that Dunlop racket was very soft and so I remember that we went through about, I'm going to say, 30 different iterations of this Pro Staff Classic Light racket till we found one that she could actually play with. And so we were constantly traveling to her house, you know, in her house, she had, uh, she had like every court surface in the house, except grass. She had, you know, all the different surfaces. So, and she was testing all the rackets and eventually she landed on one that she liked. And so we signed her, you know, and, and you know, she became very successful with that racket, you know, added to her success with using the Pro Staff uh, uh, classic light. So yeah, it was a it was an interesting day. That uh, when we when we you know spent the time signing the contract with her and her dad and and uh, yeah, getting a you know I, I actually flew to you know, it was the end of the year. I flew to Australia in 1994 and took her the very first Pro Staff Classic uh, light rackets that she, and then she won the Australian Open with it. Wow, that's hand delivered. Hand delivered. Hand delivered her tools. That that's great. Like especially now, I know. You know, you talk about she changed. That was a big change. Yeah, it was a huge racket, change. Even for, yeah. for Edberg, if he wanted to change. And it's all documented how hard it was for Federer, how long it took him to get it right as well. Federer still, he plays with a bigger head size now, but he's still playing with really what was the original, original pro staff construction. You know, it's, it's it hasn't changed that much. And actually, uh, yeah, you know, and there's quite a few players that would still, and I think it would still be a successful racket today, but it was so hard to play with. You needed to be at that level because if you didn't middle it, it was dead. You know, it was very tough to play with, but, you know, and heavy. 
I remember trying to play with it over the various years and, and the good guys, some people who were good at it were good at it. It's like a one. I was a guy who, it was too hard. It was like playing with a baseball bat, yes. even harder than playing yes. with a baseball bat. But. Yeah, it's just a good analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, they were interesting days. And actually, you know, Wilson, because of the pro staff and then actually, you know, Wilson, I, you know, one day I was at the ISPO trade show and, uh, you know, uh, we came across a guy called Siegfried Kubler who had a little booth in the corner of the ISPO trade show selling these weird looking tennis rackets, which were had giant cross sections. And, uh, you know, we talked to him and, you know, we, you know, over a number of months, we tested some of his rackets and actually they, you know, they were very powerful and very easy to play with. And uh, we, in, in the end, we made... Wilson made a deal with him to buy his technology and it became what was known as the profile tennis racket. And the profile racket was also a major, major success around the globe for, for Wilson. So wide-bodied rackets. I mean, not for the tour players. This was for recreational players, but it, you know, it was a very expensive racket. It was a revolution in its look. Um, you know, super wide, very thick, 32 millimeters wide racket. Uh, very powerful, but very, you know, it did what it said. It made the game easier to play for people who were club players, you know. And so we, we were, you know, that was another success that we had. And then, you know, I think a few years later, we introduced Hammer and Sledgehammer and other rackets like that that were, you know, so we had a lot of success at that time. And the, the end of it went, you know, after 10 years or 12 years, you know, Wilson was clearly then the number one brand in, in tennis in, in, in internationally, really, um, you know, through the success we'd had in, in positioning the, the products for both tour players and for um, club players. And, and having the support, the breadth of support that we had on the tour, it was just not. Wilson still are. Anytime we do any giveaways or talk about rackets, they just do crazy. And we actually had a, a racket shootout late last year and Wilson blew it away. But I have two more Wilson questions before we move on. I don't want to talk too much about Wilson here. But one, Jim Courier, he was a Wilson player. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And so I, I created a racket for him, actually, called the Stars and Stripes. Because he, he was playing Davis Cup. And so it was a pro staff racket. But it, we decked it out in the American Stars and stripes you know that became quite a quite a good racket in america obviously so it was a, you know i haven't seen one of those for a long time but it was quite a famous racket at the time i actually had one did you yeah i had one i couldn't play with it but it, was, it, yeah, was it looked great yeah, yeah but look great and then two serena williams did she use a wilson hammer Honestly, I had I left Wilson by the time Serena came on the scene. The other guy that was interesting was a guy called Todd Martin. Oh, yeah. He was a, he was a Wilson player. And so he played with a racket we used to call the Skunk, uh, which was another version of a pro staff, but it was black and white. You know, it was one of the first ever black and white rackets. And we it looked like a skunk. That's what we called it. And so he was quite successful with that. I think it was, he got, in the end, it became known as the, I forget what it was, pro staff six point something in the end. But um, yeah, so... Yeah, these were just more cosmetic versions of the same, but uh, they were commercially very successful. Nice. And so what happened after Wilson's? Did you move, took a bit of break and moved to Prince? No. Uh, well, yes, yes and no. So I I, um, I got an opportunity uh, to, to do something outside of tennis because obviously we've been quite successful. So a company called VF Corporation contacted me or, you know, headhunted me to, to, to lead the international business of a brand called Jansport. Jansport is nothing to do with tennis. It was a book, you know, they call it book bags in America, but a backpack company or, a, you know, so very trendy with, for light lifestyle with students. And anyway, so I spent, you know, the next seven or eight years kind of building up their international businesses around the world, distribution, retail stores, all that kind of stuff. And it was very, very successful. Um, and that, you know, that, um, that took me to about 2002 when I was contacted one day by my former Wilson, you know, a couple of my former Wilson colleagues who, you know, who said, look, we, we need you to come back and, and join, join a small group of us 
because we have this opportunity to actually buy the Prince Tennis Company. And so there was four of us that together with a private equity group, uh, we purchased the Prince Tennis Company from Benetton in Italy. Benetton used to own it, part of the Benetton Sports Group, you know, Formula One racing and all of that. They owned a number of sports brands and one of them was Prince, but it wasn't doing very well. It was losing money and, and falling away by, you know, falling down the, the kind of rankings in, in market share. And, you know, they wanted to sell it. So we, we bought it. We bought it for, uh, I don't know, about $40 million and we became the owners of Prince. Um, and what Prince actually had in, in Montebelluna in Italy was um, they had an incredible R&D department that they'd set up, but they really didn't know what it was that they needed to build. And, and so I spent, you know, I remember going down, down to, 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 to the R&D team, you know, to you know, spend some time with them. And I just saw this racket in the corner of the room, you know, of their room, which was this weird looking racket. You know, I picked it up and it had holes all over the frame. And, and I named it the cheese racket. I said, wow, that's like a Swiss cheese racket. And they said, yeah, this is something we were playing around with. And, we, you know, it didn't really work. And, you know, we weren't quite sure. And I was fascinated by this racket. I said, wow, if we could make this thing work for Prince, this would be huge. And so, you know, I convinced them to really start refocusing on, on, on how to take that racket and commercialize it basically make like, let's make some iterations let's test it let's figure out how it works and that racket became the 03 you know the XO EXO3 we used to call it X03 well, at the beginning and you know that that's a story in itself because we had various iterations of the 03 rackets but we had one which was orange colored which was called the 03 tour which i i would say today is actually the only racket in my mind that was better than the pro staff racket uh, it was a better racket and we proved its success by so this was this was a racket that looked visually different the play completely different than any kind of normal you know whether it was a head radical or a a, a wilson pro staff or a yonex racket that were typically on the tours or even a babolat pure drive that was they were very popular tour rackets here was a racket that looked so different hit hit so different sounded different felt very different and of course you know some of the agents of the players that we, we approached to test with it they said no 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 he's never going to play with that racket it looks too different it's just never going to work well i can tell you after three years i think we had over a hundred players playing with the o3 tour racket including one famous guy called nikolai davidenko who went from obscurity to winning the atp finals with that racket and every other player that we had that played that racket and i think the number was 124 players in the end including sharapova guillermo vila uh, guillermo courier uh, many you know uh, juan carlos ferrero uh, many many players that are famous today every single one of them improved their ranking with that racket every single one that used it improved their ranking and so in my mind the o3 tour was one of the greatest you know and still is one of the great rackets of tennis there's another racket i feels like i'm every racket you're saying that i have but i have a couple of them here i used them for a brief stint i thought they were great i had the yeah the oranger one and then yeah. there's a blacker version as well with a bit of orange on it there was yeah there was one was in your one i thought they were great yeah but that's so many players had used that racket that was like quick moving but tell us Michael Chang, he had the extended racket. And is it true he had that, but nobody knew about it? Yes, at the, at the beginning, yeah, it was actually, you know, yeah, extended, you know, uh, in a much longer racket. Yeah, 
And because he was a, you know, he was a in a gassy type player, you know, short guy, super fast around the court, great returner, but he, he needed extra power. You know, and so by giving him, I think it was only a, it was only a maybe it was a bit over an inch in extra length. You know, it gave him it was it was like a baseball bat. You know, it was just gave him that extra bit of kick in everything. You know, and so uh, you know it was a bit of a you know it was just done for him as a I call it a pro player spec racket at the beginning, and eventually because it worked and then it got commercialized and became the long long body tennis racket. You know, so. Uh, you know, which was you know also very 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 successful for Prince at that time. Yeah. And do you remember ever signing an Irish player called Owen Casey? I know Owen Casey. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember he he gave me his Prince long bodies at one stage. He was that's where I know the long body from. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a, it was also you know it wasn't a success for Prince. I mean, big thing with Prince was the oversize. That was of course a, you know. And actually, if you what's very, I've got some you know. There's a lot of market data in tennis, but if you track all of the brands over 30 years, you know every single brand. Whenever there's been an innovation in the tennis racket, that brand has spiked up in market share dr- dramatically. So whether it was the you know way back when it was the Prince oversized, but that took them to like a 50% market share. It was nuts. You know, it was like Coca-Cola. Everyone was playing with oversized or the Prince Woody or the Prince uh, Pro that um, Pat Cash used. You know, people like that, that. That was a massive spike in market share. If you went to to Head, you, you'd look at the Radical or the Titanium racket that they had, and that would be a massive spike. If you went to Wilson with the Pro Staff or the Profile, that would be a massive spike. Back to Prince with O3. Uh, you know, so, you know, every time there was a real innovation that people could feel that actually did something for their game, you know, the companies did incredibly well. And that's probably still the case. And actually today, you know, Pure Drive with Babolat, that's, you know, mo- mo- the most recent case probably, you know, that racket. They all seem to have innovations. I saw it with Wilson had the clash. I'm not sure what sort of technology. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that's another one. You know, probably had a good spike for them now, you know, recently, yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I saw Head just released something new as well. Now I don't know too much detail. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, you know, and of course in between there's been very, you know, new rackets that have been good, but have not really moved the market or, or made people go out and think about buying another racket. But those that I mentioned, they all did. You know, they made people think about buying another racket. And meanwhile, the pros are still using the rackets from 20 years ago. They don't get them. Yeah, some of them, you know. So, you know, Head Radical is very popular, you know, obviously on the tour with the pro staff. No, but of course, Babolat, you know, the pure drives are very popular, you know. Yeah. At Functional Tennis, we are all about helping your tennis game get 1% better every day. That's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag. The Functional Tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions. It includes goal setting, quotes, pressure tests and more. It's used by players of all ages and levels and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game. To learn more, visit functionaltennis.com. So you talk about like all these brands, Head, Wilson, Prince, and you know, it's a closed network of brands. And it seems to me looking at the outside, it's really hard to get into this inner circle. In rackets, yes, it is very difficult. Yeah, But maybe even in other tennis brands, it seems quite, there's not many new tennis brands coming into fold, but Slinger has made a, a blast. It's been a meteorite here. It's hit in. It's gone it's landed it's gone wide it's it's everywhere so congrats on being able to do that i see you're bringing Thanks. all the experience from before you're injecting it into yeah. slinger but when did you first hear or see the slinger bag um actually it was i remember exactly it was uh, the early part of uh, february 2019 
you know, with Prince, we'd, we'd, we'd own Prince, as I mentioned, with some private equity groups. Um, you know, I, I'd always had a, you know, I, I built quite a lot of friends who are in the, you know, big financing parts of sport. And, and one day out of the blue, one guy called me and said, you know, Mike, uh, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm thinking of buying one of these slinger bags. Have you seen it? And I said, no, what's a slinger bag? And he said, oh, take a look at this video. And ju- I just want your opinion as to whether I should buy it. That's what he was telling me about. And so I looked at the video, which actually you can see on the slinger bag website still today. I looked at the video and I thought, wow, okay, if this thing is anywhere near as good as it looked, or, or does what it says, this could be, my tennis gut kicked in and said, this could be a big thing in tennis. No one's ever done this before. Tennis ball machines, of course, you know, running big tennis companies, I've been presented all kinds of ideas and including tennis ball machines and never thought about going in because the market was too small. They were electronic. It was too cumbersome into ship. And uh, how, how do you even deal with it? But my, my tennis gut kicked in and said, wow, this thing could be big. And, um, you know, actually then, so I, you know, I told him, yeah, buy one. And then I put the phone down and I, and I thought, okay, I got to figure out how to get a hold of these guys. So I did some homework. The next day I spoke to Joe Kalfer, who's the founder of Slinger. Uh, I think two days after that, I met with him on, on a court in Munich uh, and we tried the Slinger at an indoor tennis club because it was winter. And actually, you know, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a prototype and, but it did what it said, you know, it, you know, it was pretty cool. And I said, you know, and then and two days later, I, you know, actually, no, it was the same day. You know, him and I agreed that I would take on the company and build it from scratch for him. Yeah, you know, so it's the only reason I was ever interested in doing it was because I knew it could have a big impact on tennis, you know, because it was a product that the tennis player would buy, you know, not the tennis club. It was the tennis player would buy it. And it would be something that would actually help drive the participation in tennis. And tennis at that time, you know, had been suffering. Tennis participation was down. It was, it was an aging sport. There wasn't enough young kids playing. You know, people were leaving. And the reason people leave tennis is because you need two people to play. And actually, if you, as you would know, Fabio, if you don't play, play against someone of your similar standard it's actually quite not, it's not very enjoyable you know and it's hard to play you know if you're you know if someone's good and someone's not so good so this was a great game leveler and i thought wow this can have a big impact on tennis tennis participation you know you know really could be something and so yeah i said about uh, you know from scratch taking his idea and refining it into what a slinger bag is today and building a small company around it. You're a public company, which we get onto in a sec, but how would you, to our listeners, how would you describe the slinger bag? Yeah, slinger bag. So my analogy always is golf. If, you know, I play more golf than tennis these days. And so you keep, you know, if you're a golfer, you have your golf bag, which has all, obviously your clubs, but also has your waterproof, your golf shoes, your Snickers bars, your water, your tees, everything is in your golf bag, right? And you keep it in your car. And if you have an hour, if you're a keen golfer, you'll go to the driving range and you just hit some balls. So in tennis, tennis has never had that opportunity for people just to go and play tennis whenever they felt like it, middle of the night, during the day, whenever it would be. And, and so my, you know, the analogy is that actually the slinger bag is the, the, the tennis version of a golf bag. So it's a bag first and foremost. It's versatile, meaning you can put your rackets in it and all your tennis kit. It holds 144 balls. Uh, and it's also a tennis ball machine, meaning you, you just take it on the court, put it on the other side of the net, switch it on and it'll fire balls at you, you know, and you can play tennis. And actually, you don't even need a tennis court. You can play in your driveway if you have a big enough garden. You can play anywhere as long as you're prepared to pick up the tennis balls afterwards, you know, because, you know, that's what's necessary. But and so, yeah, so it's highly transportable. It's super versatile. And more than anything, it's affordable for the tennis player. So in the UK, it's it's 850 pounds, including VAT, um, you know, which, you know, these days is 
I don't know, the price of three or four tennis rackets, you know. And so if you're a regular tennis player, you're, I think, you know, and we're proving it, you're very willing to invest that kind of money in something that will allow you to play tennis 24-7. It is. I've been using one a while now and they're great. It just means you just get out there, use it. And for me, we're testing rackets and different things. It's hard to get people. I have two kids now. So, you know, just throw it out there, throw it in the car and off I go. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very, it's very convenient, you know. So, and I think, you know, that's, you know, now the tennis federations, whether it's the LTA or different federations, are very interested in working with us because we're, we're helping t- tennis players play tennis more often, hit tennis balls more often, basically. You know, that's a good thing, you know, getting people out. And, and you, know, you know, we've had a lot of emails from people saying to me, oh, you know, I last played tennis 20 years ago. I bought myself a slinger bag. I've always fancied getting back on the court. Thanks to Slinger for helping me do it. You know, that's a great feeling for us to think that we've actually got someone back playing tennis that hasn't played for a while, you know. Yeah, no, definitely is. And also you've got the attention of top tennis players. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think through through my contacts, of course, you know, I know all the, you know, I used to know all the player agents and so I re- reacquainted myself with them. And, and you know, I, I think in the end, you know, not asking them to endorse it, but I, you know, I would say that 15, 12 to 15 of the top 20 players, men, have got a slinger bag. You know, Djokovic has got one, uh, Nadal's got one, Federer has got one. I, we don't promote it because we're not asking them for anything. We just we just did it on the basis that, you know, hey, let us know if you'll, you know, if you know, if you think it's good enough for what you need to practice. And many of them did. And and of course, with the a little eye on the fact that maybe one day one of them might post something using it, of course, which would be very nice. But we haven't asked them to do anything and, you know, I'm not, not promoting them. But it was really just to get the fact to be sure, you know, that, you know, it's good enough for them. And it's also good enough for someone who's never played tennis before. One day something will come true. I know, I know the way that works. You're hoping for that. Yeah, yesterday, actually. I think we, you know, we got a request from Serena Williams for one. So, you know, we've sent her one now. Brilliant. And, but you have like, I know Tommy Haas is an ambassador, the Brian brothers and Jeannie Bouchard is coming on soon or just signed. So, you know, they're, great players to have on board yeah 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 they're, they're you know you know if you're a tennis brand you know a racket brand of course you need the current tour players to endorse your product and you know and, and help promote your brand for us being you know who being who we are you know a game improvement uh, product you know we decided that it was better to find players who are let's say at the end of their careers who had more time who maybe had an interest in a business who you know would uh, would help with coaching tips and would want to give something back to tennis and so you know we started out with mike and bob who i've known obviously for a long time and who are just great ambassadors for it for all the brands that they support but particularly for slinger you know we brought on tommy because you know he came to the end of his career and he's you know also been a great ambassador for us now uh we brought in you know obviously nick bolletieri the you know world's most famous tennis coach you know and nick who's never and um, never endorsed any game improvement product ever in all of his life suddenly you know now you know is a massive ambassador for slinger bag as a coaching aide because for him it means he can actually go and stand next to his pupil while the slinger bag you know, you know, hit, you know, throws the balls over for for and and give better coaching. You know, so you know now and now we brought on Patrick Moritaglu. He's he's one of our ambassadors. Jeannie Bouchard, as you say, we're talking to a number of other Darren Cahill. You know, is another ambassador we brought in. So it's a hit list. Yeah, no, it's a hit. It's a hit list. Yeah, and you know, and actually, there was a couple of weekends ago, Fabio. Some, you know, I, I'm not the social media guru uh, actually at all, but you know, I saw uh, posts on our 
on our Instagram from Kim Kleisters and Simona Halep, who are both recovering from some kind of injuries, who are using Slinger Bag as part of their recovery. So they're, they're professional players, world number one champions using it. And on the other side, we had um, Kendall Jenner, who I actually had never heard of, uh, who has 200 million social media followers. She posted that she got a Slinger Bag that she was, she loved it. She was playing tennis. You know, uh, we had another guy, DJ DJ Khaled, who's had some kind of very, you know, ten million followers. I mean, these guys. So that was the extreme, you know, uh, professional players and social media icons, I suppose, you know, who are using it. I think every brand, no matter what area you're in, you want Kylie Jenner using your product. Well, I know that now. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But what challenges are there growing an international tennis brand in? Like tennis is a quite a, a niche in the grand, and it's not a lifestyle brand, really. Like, yeah, but but actually, that's you know, you say that, so Fabio, I get it. But you know, tennis. There's a lot of lot of data research that says tennis is one of the healthiest sports to play for everybody. You know, it's a cradle to grave sport. You know, now you know, particularly in the US, with the you know, you, you probably know a lot about pickleball, but you know, that's the the kind of uh, you know, the older generation are playing pickleball instead of tennis because it's you know smaller and easier to play. So it's, you know, so I, I think tennis is a great life sport. You know, and, uh, you know, it become challenged over the years. I think, you know, there's, there's some stigmas attached to tennis. It's a bit elitist. Maybe it's a bit expensive to play. You need two people to play. You, there's no handicap systems. Professional game is a little bit messed up, in my opinion. There's just too many people involved. And there's, there's no real coordination about, you know, how to grow tennis. And I've been, you know, on the board of the Tennis Industry Association forever. And, you know, there's lots and lots of discussions with with all the different federations, but actually very little has happened despite lots of money being spent on trying to grow tennis. And actually, it's a very, you know, unfortunately, and obviously the pandemic's a very unfortunate situation for the world to face, but it's done, you know, a number of things for different industries. And in tennis in particular, it's actually galvanized the tennis industry to come together. And what we've seen in the last 24 months is a significant growth in the number of people playing tennis. One, because it's COVID safe to play and two because of the life and health and getting outside and you know and, and getting back on a court and so there's been a significant growth in in tennis over the you know so you know over the last uh, um, couple of years during the pandemic and actually at the end of the day it is a niche market tennis but there are a hundred million tennis players around the world and and you know the tennis industry focuses on what we call the avid player which is probably you you know because you know you're very interested in tennis you you know these are the and there's about 20 million avid tennis players around the world. The US is the biggest market with, you know, I think 5 million avid tennis players followed by Japan and then some of the European markets. And these are the people who spend all of the money on tennis, whether it's buying rackets, equipment, clothing, getting restrings all the time, uh, by going to the, the events, you know, consuming all the things related to tennis, joining clubs and country clubs. These are the 20 million people who do all of that stuff. And that's a big market for a, for a company like Slinger. You know, so my goal is, you know, for these avid tennis players, why not over time, can't we get 10% of them to, to use a slinger bag? That doesn't seem unreasonable to me because they're into the, they're so zoned in and focused on, on tennis. And, and, and that, if, we, if we're successful in doing that, it makes slinger a very big company. That is mean? that to buy or to use? I think you mean to buy, is yeah, it? Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, to buy, you know. So, you know, there are now, you know, a number of clubs who are buying, you know, a slinger bag and then people are renting them out and all the rest of it. So, you know, that part and parcel of it. But, there's, you know, there's a big enough market and a big enough interest in tennis and particularly with the growth that tennis has seen to make this a very interesting business opportunity. 
Nice. And you mentioned a lot in your press releases lately about Slinger like wants to become a connected brand. Yes. And first of all, what is a connected brand and how does Slinger plan to become a connected brand? Yeah, so so good question. So, you know, we want to become a, a connected sports company, as you say. So the idea of that is that, that you know, through we're about to launch an app in August, which is going to be a game changer in tennis. I think maybe even, you know, we'll let you have a, a, a beta version of it in the next couple of weeks to test out, actually. So uh, what, what this is going to be driven by artificial intelligence, and it's going to provide a level of analytics that has never been seen in sport, but, you know, never mind tennis, but just in sport in general. It's quite incredible what it's going to, what's going to show. But being connected means that, you know, through that app, you know, we'll be able to provide the tennis player with a whole raft of services, like a one-stop shop. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, slinger bag equipment on one side, analytics through the app on another side, you know, we're looking at a number of acquisitions, which I can't tell you about at the moment, which will become part of the app, which which will provide additional services and benefits to those tennis players. And so, you know, the more people that we can get uh, underneath the Slinger banner connected through our app and through and using the services that we provide, whether that's, you know, one of the companies we announced that we bought is a company called Foundation Tennis, um, actually. And so they, in the, in the United States, they provide club administrative services, court bookings, uh, teaching pro bookings, software for tennis clubs to have websites and apps. And, and, and you know, on their website you know, already, you know, they've got a million users, one million users, right? And so these million users are using their foundation tennis platform, but why wouldn't they want to be connected to Slinger? Why wouldn't they want to be connected to some of the other services that we're going to provide in the future? And so by, by building a, you know, a big database of users, we think that we can, we can provide everything they're going to need relate, relating to tennis, you know, outside the actual, you know, we're not going to, you know, not rackets and things like that, but, you know, in terms of services, because one day, in the very near future, I think that every sports surface, and that includes every tennis court, will be smart, meaning it'll be connected somehow to the internet, uh, you know, through a camera or through, uh, you know, you know, now you have all kinds of devices from PlaySight or Wingfield or all these other companies who are coming into tennis with uh, smart technology that are looking to expand the uh, opportunities and services that players could access. And is, is your goal to compete with like, let's say, Wingfield or is it to integrate with Wingfield? Uh, yeah, we, you know, um, you know, we're looking at as a number of acquisitions. And so we want to be a big part of the future of, you know, what smart, smart means in sport, you know, and we think we can help define what smart tennis is going to be. And, uh, you know, you know, again, build that database of users. I think with this foundation tennis with a million users, you know, we've already got 50,000 slinger bag users. You know, the other companies were going to, you know, going to bring in several hundred thousand users. You know, we're going to have a, a huge database of people who are tennis, I'm going to fanatics, avid tennis players who are going to be have an appetite for some or all of these services that we will provide, and that'll make us a connected company. And I, I make the analogy, I don't shy away from it because it's a very aggressive analogy, but, you know, Peloton in fitness has made a huge in, inroad into, you know, you know, everyone in society, let's say, you know, in people's day-to-day -day routines, fitness routines. I think that Slinger ultimately can become the Peloton of the outside sports world. you got to dream big. Yeah, well, I really think that can happen. I remember I got the press release of the foundation emails, like Slinger Buys Foundation Tennis, and I looked at it. Slinger buys functional tennis. I was like, "Wait, what is this?" Because uh, yeah. you know the hedge, the eyes 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Maybe we should have that discussion. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I'm well. I'm well away. From, one day, one day, let's talk about it. We're not well, yet. You're, you're, you're very successful. So you, you carry on doing a great job. I have a bit more work to do, but you guys are publicly listed. You're traded. There's not many tennis brands apart from the few I think in this elite circle that may be traded but why what advantage does it give Slinger to be publicly traded um, yeah a big advantage I think so you're right so there aren't any you know Amel you know who previously owned Wilson so they were publicly traded as a, as a corporate entity but you know since since they sold you know I, I think Slinger might be the only one I might be wrong but I think it might be the, un- uh, the only one oh no Sumitomo and Dunlop I suppose that's another one but you know so why are we public for First of all, so our founder, Joe, you know, he's a serial investor, not in sports, but in many other tech companies. And he's seen the success of tech companies on the public market raising money and then using their share equity as capital, meaning they can, you know, you, you know rather than using cash, they use their shares to, to acquire companies and, and to grow their, their own brand. And he, you know, he's a fanatical tennis player. He's one of these 20 million that if he could, he would spend all of his time on the tennis court and he would buy, he buys all the latest equipment all the time for tennis. Anything that's going, he'll try it. And, uh, you know, he just wanted, it was a personal ambition of his to own a publicly traded tennis company. And so, you know, there is a route to do that. You know, we had, you know, he, we had to buy a, um, a company that was, uh, you know, on the markets, but wasn't trading very big volume of shares So we, we found the right company made sure that it was, you know, uh, clean, let's say. Um, and then we acquired that company and, and eventually reverse merged uh, Slinger into that company and, and became public. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that we did that is allowed us now to go out and buy functional tennis as an example, because we, you know, that was a share purchase. So we, we just traded our shares for his ownership of the company. And so now, you know, Charlie Ruddy, who was the owner of Foundation Tennis, is now a big shareholder in uh, in Slingerback. You know, and so uh, you know, so that that you know, that's a big advantage. So you know, when we sign up our ambassadors, you know, you know, part of what we do is we 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 remunerate them with um, you know some shares in the company. You know, so you know, and and that motivates them to work for the company because as we all contribute, hopefully the share price will move in the right direction, and you know, the shares will become more valuable. Nice. Nice. And yeah, no, it, it's interesting that I don't know anything about the, the whole stock or the public publicly traded company. It is an interesting aspect to follow, believe me, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it has you busy uh, flat out. But just a couple more questions, Mike, before I let you go. Other products, I know we talk, it's all tennis related, we've been talking about, but you mentioned your press releases or your, you know, what Slinger is, doesn't mention tennis it mentioned sports yes yeah well yeah so so we want to be a sports company of course we've focused you know i think in in, in business you need to be successful at once you know at a few things you know and our, our, our aim first of all is to be successful prove our success in tennis because of our backgrounds you know the people that work in slinger we've all got backgrounds in tennis so we want to prove that success and i think you know we're a long way towards that but we've got a long way to go still um and and tennis includes you know paddle and includes pickleball and includes soft tennis and maybe beach tennis and and you know other versions of tennis. So we're we're rolling out those products over the ne- the next uh, you know six months. But of course, you know the slinger bag concept of being transportable, versatile, and affordable can be applied to other sports. And so the next sports that we're going to enter are baseball and softball. And and with that, 
as a byproduct cricket. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, we did the first testing of our very first prototype of a baseball machine. And actually, you know, it worked. Joe tells me it works much better than the first ever tennis launcher worked. And so, you know, that that puts us in a good position to, you know, to continue to develop that product and hopefully launch it in the beginning of 2023. But obviously, the baseball market, obviously the US, baseball and softball, there are machines for those products. But like in tennis, they are incredibly expensive and very heavy. And so they're not really geared for the family. Our baseball softball launcher will actually be geared for a family to buy. You know, and, and, you know, of course, if we're successful with that, that's another big market opportunity that we'll be addressing. I'm seeing all the broken windows in yeah, residential yeah. areas in the States. <laughs> People trying their baseball slinger bag in their garden. I'm missing it. I'm going straight yeah, through the, the window. window. Yeah, it is a little worrying. The hardness of the, there's three different kind of balls for, for baseball and softball. And, it, you know, you wouldn't want to get in the way of them. That's for sure. So you'll need a good insurance yes. lawyer. Like yes. I know what it's like in the States with product. But, oh, yeah, Mike, it's been great having you on. Are you a Liverpool fan, by the way? Don't insult me. Of course. You're not an Everton fan, no. <laughs> you're wearing the right colour. Oh, you're an Everton fan. Very yes. nice. Yeah. And tell me, do you know the Skupski brothers? I don't know them personally, but I, I, I follow them because of their Liverpool heritage, of course. Yeah. You know, So, you know, they've done incredibly well. Neil just won the mixed doubles at Wimbledon, which is amazing. So, yeah, those guys are great. They've been on the podcast and I really yeah, love yeah, them. No, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're really nice guys, yeah. So, yeah, but I know I grew up as, you know, in Liverpool, I was born in Liverpool, so you, you grew up, a, you, you're born a blue or a red, and I was a blue. And, you know, uh, today we've got a red, you know, an ex-red manager, but I'm wishing him all the best, of course, because, you know, yeah, course, we yeah. just want success. You'd Pickford representing the UK in goal, yeah, yeah, which Yeah, did, he did very well. You know, that was obviously, you know, disappointing end to the tournament, but, they, they, you know, the young team and they, you know, they'll come again and they'll be successful in the future, I hope, you know, so... Yeah. Mike, thank you for I was really interested. This could have gone on a lot longer, but uh, really appreciate it. All the best to Slinger in the future with the uh, can't wait to test the new app and the new product. So thank you very much. No, Fabio, thank you for your time and thanks for your support. Have a good rest of the day. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I thought it was really interesting. It was great to hear all Mike's stories and the people and players he worked with. And I look forward to Slinger's success in the future. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>